Welcome to Straight Talk for Real Life, produced by Hewlett Packard Enterprise. If you're a parent, you probably already know that parenting changes your life. It can be a challenge even under the best circumstances, but it's even more so if you have a child who has learning, social, or behavioral challenges. Listen in as together we talk about how we can best support children with special needs and their families. Hi there, I'm Bob Peacock. Welcome to Straight Talk for Real Life. This particular episode is near and dear to my heart. As a father of an adult child who was born with Down syndrome, I can tell you it is unsettling when, after nine months of anticipation, planning, and great expectations, your child is born with a disability. It was our first child. But I can also tell you that as scary and unexpected as that turn in the road was, it can lead to amazing opportunities and experiences and lessons that you would have missed had you not been taken down that path. In our situation, we wouldn't have had the opportunity to watch our son win two gold medals in the Special Olympics World Games, which were held in Alaska that year. Another year, he was named honorary captain of the Chicago Bears American football team, and he stood in the middle of a packed stadium before a game. There have been so many incredible experiences, along with a few challenges. All that to say, having a child with special needs changes your life. And I know that everyone's story is different. But in our experience, there have been many positive opportunities that enhanced our son's life as well as ours. Today's episode is about the special needs of a family when you have a child with disabilities and the resources available to help you and your child make the most out of life. With me on the phone is Angela Nelson, Vice President and Executive Director of Clinical Services at Rethink Benefits, a company that provides support and resources for working parents caring for a child who has learning delays or behavioral challenges. Welcome, Angela. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for having me. As we've said, parenting can already be a demanding job, even on the good days, but Describe how much more challenging it can be for parents who have children with impairments that limit their mobility, learning, hearing, sight, or communication. Yeah, it's a good question. I think that, you know, certainly everybody's experience is going to be different. We have a lot of families that experience um, great joy, as you had mentioned, Bob, too, and, um, you know, adapting to roles that they may uh, not have expected prior to to having their child, but um, certainly there are some additional logistics really involved in having a child with learning, social, behavioral challenge, um, physical challenges, Um, logistics, even down to things like, well, you know, when we travel, we're going to have to maybe bring a mobility chair or materials for individuals that might not be verbally speaking. So a voice output device of some kind. Um, Therapies is definitely one of the biggest I guess, kind of categories Mm -hmm. um, of logistics. So things like, well, now you have a team of folks coming in and out of your home every day, or you're having to drive back and forth to a clinic every day. Those are things that add to the demands. Um, And then of course, stress. Oftentimes it's it's chronic stress. stress. And then again, of course, it's experienced differently by by different families. We know from the research that there are you know, mental health implications as well. Uh, Dyson and colleagues and Bristol and colleagues, just a couple 
uh, researchers that have studied stress and um, just different impacts of parents uh, emotionally have children um, with special needs. So, but uh, but all that to say, you know, everyone's experience really is is very different. How did you get involved in this this whole world? <laughs> yeah, it started actually a long time ago. I was asked to babysit um, a young boy. He was about five or six at the time. I was I was young. I was only about thirteen, and um, he has autism. And he was the same age as my younger sister. Um, he had a lot of skills that were similar to her, uh, but then he had skills where he was pre-verbal at the time, and he had uh, a big interest and in, just an intense interest in um, things like rewinding VHS tapes uh, and watching. Um, Thomas the Tank Engine over and over again. And so I was just really fascinated by that. But fast forward to college, I, I did my undergrad at UCLA and um, got to take classes with people like Dr. Ivar Lovas, who's um, very well known in, in the field of autism intervention. And um, mm -hmm. I, I de decided, okay, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pursue this as my career. I started working at a clinic the day after I graduated college and uh, working with people adults, children, teenagers with developmental disabilities, and I just absolutely loved it. Um, but I realized that there was definitely a gap there. And that gap was, well, what about the parents? So I, I, when I went to graduate school, I pursued counseling as my focus. And my niche really was uh, parents that have children with, with disabilities. Fast forward to where I am now at Rethink, kind of bringing all of my experiences together, I have what I consider my my dream job, really, working with families all over the world uh, who have children with, with various uh, uh, disabilities, supporting them, providing them with training and resources and um, consultations. So, yeah, it's kind of uh, been something that I was interested in since uh, a, a young teenager decided this is what I want to do, and I've never had any other job since. Oh, that's fabulous. Well, as we start our discussion today, I think it's really important for us to talk about the words that we use when we describe people with special needs or people with disabilities. Um, I realize that the word special needs or disabled may offend some, but please know that's obviously not our intent. We believe that all people should be seen as people first. So for example, it's not a disabled child. It's a child with disabilities. It's not special needs children. It's children who have special needs. Uh, it seems like a small difference, but it can have a big impact on people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think to your point, really, it's it's about the spirit in, in which we're using the language that, uh, that we have. So I think it's important to be inquisitive about the latest Wording, right. So in the past, we would use a term like mental retardation. We don't use that term anymore. Now we're using intellectual disability. Um, and it's not to anyone's fault that they don't know those things if you're not in, in this world. Um, but it's important to be inquisitive and be receptive to adopting new language. We use um, person first language. So as you said, Bob, a person with autism, right. for example, um, right. in the past, we would use the word autistic. Um, I will say though, um, that this brings up a point that is part of a larger discussion we could talk all day about about this point, which is bring people with disabilities into the discussion, talk with them. It's not we're creating language for them. We're talking together to come up with language. Um, and that expands into things like when we're talking about policy and laws and all sorts of things for, for people with disabilities. We're including them right into the discussion. And, you know, a good example of that is 
Dr. Temple Grandin. Um, I was I had the pleasure of presenting with her a couple years ago, and she uses the word autistic to describe herself um, and and people within that population. Um, and so I think it's important to include people who have these disabilities into those discussions and really take their lead um, in terms of the, the wording that they're using. Absolutely. Parents can find out that their child has special challenges at any time. For us, we found out about our son's condition the day after he was born. Others might find out that their child has autism or speech or learning disabilities when they are toddlers or even older. Or in some cases, the special challenges are a result of an accident or illness that happens later in life. No matter when it happens, when parents get that diagnosis, it can take an emotional toll on the family, the parents, siblings, even the extended family members. What are some of the typical emotions that a parent goes through when it happens? All emotions are fair game, I think. Um, and I, I know just from speaking with, with a lot of families, all over the world, really, they experience this differently, but we do tend to see some common experiences and common emotions. So uncertainty is definitely a big one. Disappointment, um, denial, anger, grief. Uh, a lot of families describe it as grieving or mourning the life um, that they thought they were gonna have or the life that they felt their child was gonna have and, and fear usually what I'll say to that is, you know, all these feelings are okay and all these feelings are normal and you shouldn't feel guilty for feeling these things or you shouldn't feel guilty for grieving the life that you thought you were going to have. Um, uh, so it's, you know, it's all, it's all normal. Uh, a lot of times going through those stages of, of grief and, um, you know, it, it usually will pass and parents will then come into a place of acceptance and uh, excitement and really embrace it uh, later on. But the early stages can be hard for a lot of families. Yeah. In addition to the, the emotional issues, having a child with disabilities can cause other challenges for the family. For example, if they can afford it, they might need help. So they get a caretaker or one of the parents gives up their career so they can focus on the child's needs. That affects the family's financial well-being as well, and it can put a huge strain on a marriage. Uh, can you talk about those pressures on families? Yeah, you hit on a couple different kind of themes or categories, and, and certainly having a child with a disability does impact many aspects of a family unit. Um, a big financial strain, as you mentioned, a lot of times it is due to those therapies. Leaving a job or reducing your hours, maybe turning down promotions, going part-time. These are all common things that we, we see. Um, people like Dr. Uh, Thomas Bradbury at UCLA study things like chronic stress in marriage. Um, I was lucky enough to be a research assistant years ago in this lab, um, but a lot of families that have children with disabilities do endure chronic stress. They're not given a break. Uh, it's 24 seven job and many times, and that can equal uh, lower marital quality. So that's what they studied is chronic stress equals oftentimes more uh, or lower marital quality. Um, there's also implications to the, the siblings as well. Sometimes they're they're feeling that they're getting a reduced amount of attention, um, parentified sometimes. So uh, that's meaning that kids are taking on roles that are traditionally for parents. So a good example is I was working with a, uh, a child um, in, a, in a group 
and uh, this was a group for kids with uh, who had siblings of um, siblings of children with with uh, disabilities. And he was about eight or nine, and he said, "Well, I have the night shift. Um, we share a room, and my brother has epilepsy, and so when he has." Uh, a seizure in the middle of the night, I'm, I'm on that shift, I'm on the night shift, um, which was just really interesting. These, these kids um, are having these jobs, which sometimes equate to being, you know, wise beyond the years and, and very insightful. Um, but the good thing is there are so many different resources out there for families, formal and informal, right? So formal counseling, informal, you've got the support of your friends and your family and religious groups, certainly reaching out to parents of other children with disabilities. Um, I did mention SIB shops, so the, the groups that I've been a part of, um, if, uh, if you have a child with a disability and you have other kids too, definitely look into um, what the University of Washington created, now they're all over the country, SIB shops. So these uh, workshops are for kids that uh, have siblings with all sorts of disabilities. They have various ages. And these are workshops for kids to go and be themselves and talk about the good and the bad and the ugly and just be honest. And they have something for them themselves. So, you know, having, having the attention on them. So definitely, and then also, by the way, having a job has good protective factors against uh, mental health concerns. So if you have a child with a disability, we have found that having a job can still give you a sense of self and give you a, um, a piece of yourself where you're not just a parent of a child with a disability, you also are an employee and you can gain a lot of boosters in terms of your uh, self-worth and um, other aspects of your life that you can enjoy as well. So, um, so although it's, it's definitely something that takes a toll on families, there are a lot of ways to, to mitigate those, uh, that toll and um, a lot of resources out there. Absolutely. One thing that that uh, my wife and I discovered is just the importance of making time for ourselves. Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, definitely um, an important one. Taking time for yourself is something that is not considered. And a lot of parents think that this is, oh gosh, I'm being selfish by, you know, taking time away from my child to, to think about it for myself, but you want to fill your own cup. Um, you want to be able to have gas in the tank for yourself so that you can support your child the best way you can. It's very important. We talked about chronic stress earlier from not being able to, to get a break. So if you can take advantage of things like respite care, if that is available to you, having a babysitter, accepting help when it comes, that's hard for some people. So that is something to, to really think about is that maybe that's not your nature to accept help, but it can benefit your, your kids uh, directly if you're taking better care of yourself and giving yourself a break. Um, even families where financially they're not able to, to pay for a babysitter, maybe they don't have family nearby and, or they have a child that has um, pretty intensive needs and they really are the main source of support. Even little things like looking forward to something after bedtime when your child goes to sleep, looking forward to a new book you ordered online, uh, meditation apps or mindfulness exercises, just little things you can do for yourself, even if it's just five or 10 minutes a day can really help to kind of rejuvenate you because parents really do deserve that. That's so important. I can remember uh, when my son was born like it was yesterday, 
What do you tell new parents who discover that their child has special challenges? What, let's say, what are the three things that they need to know right up front? Well, first off, your, your child is, is a person, right? Your child is, is not defined by his or her disability. So they are a person. They are your child. Um, you're not alone. We know, and, and this is just developmental disabilities specifically, but one in six children in the United States, at least, uh, has a developmental disability. So you're not alone. Um, I think it's also important to think about giving your, yourself time to, to learn as much as you can and about your child's disability and, and really take it day by day. It can be very overwhelming, as we talked about earlier. I, I Usually when I talk with families and I, I work with, with parents, I say, uh, especially during those early stages when, um, when they just got a diagnosis, make a schedule or make a list of things that you want to do and just prioritize a couple each week. It's a marathon and all the information, there's so much out there, you're not going to be able to learn it all in one day. So pace yourself so you don't get overwhelmed. So maybe it's, I'm going to make a couple phone calls to look into services this week. And next week, I'm going to make an appointment to see if I can get in to get that evaluation, um, and so on and so forth. So make a list for yourself, make a plan. So that way, when you do those couple things, you can cross them off. You feel like you've done what you needed to do and you've accomplished things and it helps to keep things in perspective. Someone who's listening might be going through having that, that new child that maybe they've just discovered has special challenges. What are some words of advice that you'd give to those parents? Well, I think piggybacking off of the the previous question, Bob, um, taking it one day at a time. It, yeah, it's right. uh, like I said, it's it, it can be very uh, overwhelming and new. So taking it one day at a time, reaching out and and finding kind of what what we hear. This is a more modern term, but find your tribe, right? So find a parent support group, mm. find other families that are experiencing the same things that you are, or having similar experiences, having um, children that might also be experiencing the same things that your child's experiencing. And um, it's amazing. There's so, especially with technology now and all the different online groups, sometimes parents, other parents can be some of the best sources of resources. Um, just things like, oh, did you hear about this new funding stream that just got approved? Or there's this new clinic that's opening up in a town nearby ours. Did you hear about that? Um, so it's a really, really great uh, way to gather information. Um, learn all that you can, but and don't be afraid to, to ask questions. Go to reputable sources, though. I can't stress that enough. There's a lot of um, snake oil out in the world, in the internet, so make sure you're going to reputable uh, sources. Don't be intimidated by doctors or, or professionals. You, I always tell parents, um, you're the expert on your child, mm. and you come in to, uh, as an equal, to the table um, and you can be your child's best advocate. Certainly there are things that you're not gonna be able to change or, or control. And so trying to look at the positive side of things, try to um, focus your attention on things that you can maybe change or improve. Um, and then I guess the last thing really is take care of yourself. Like I said before, fill your own tank so that you have um, kind of resources and, and uh, ability and the energy to, to take care of your your children. And, and that might be in the form of not just 
taking time for yourself, but also looking at your other relationships. Very, very good advice. So how important is it to talk openly about your child's challenges with your other children, or maybe even with the the child, him or herself? Yeah, absolutely. So this is definitely another big topic of interest to a lot of families. Um, Some disabilities are going to be more apparent. Um, You might be able to see them uh, visually. So that conversation will sometimes come earlier and maybe just more matter of fact. Um, Some disabilities you may not be able to visually see. Um, What we know and and kind of what the consensus is in the the, uh, professional community is when your child starts asking questions, that's oftentimes a good time to discuss it with with them and also with with other folks in the family and friends. And usually the the way we do that is by, and the way that we support parents through that difficult conversation is, Talk about how everybody's unique and different. Um, We all have things we're doing well. We all have areas where we need some help. You can talk about yourself too. You know, I feel like I'm doing pretty well with this, but gosh, you know, I really struggle with such and such. And so I I need a little bit of help here. Um, So that helps to normalize it. Um, With other children in the family, they can also be great advocates. And I think one of the, and just in my work with sib shops, what I found is, the siblings or the sibs, as we uh, affectionately um, know them as, um, they can educate others and they can really dispel stigma. Um, and it's kind of cool to see, you know, eight, eight-year-olds at school uh, standing up for their, their siblings and really yes. educating others. Absolutely. I clearly recall there was one day when our younger son was in a playground and was being Superman in front of this group of older kids really trying to protect his his brother so he could go down the slide too. Um, it was It's an amazing thing to watch. Uh, let's talk about resources. What resources are available to help new parents? The good news is there are many more resources than there, there ever were in the past. I would say local schools, so local school districts or your health system, this really goes for anyone all over the world. Um, as I mentioned before, finding those local parent resource groups in your individual state or country can be really helpful. Um, There's a lot of online tools these days too, just great educational resources. Um, Go to sites specific for your child's disability. Um, I like things like understood.org, parenttoolkit.com. It's really great. Talks a lot about social emotional learning, which is applicable for so many different uh, kids and families. Um, And even uh, Rethink, Rethink Benefits. That's that's a, our program that um, HPE team members have access to in the United States. What is Rethink Benefits? Rethink is, it's an employer-sponsored benefit. And what we're doing is we're, we're continuing to build this kind of full ecosystem to drive equity, inclusion, and advancement for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. So we have a couple different things that we do. Um, currently, we're working with U.S team members at HPE that are caregivers, essentially, um, of children with learning, social, and behavioral challenges. So we provide them with videos to show them how to teach skills to their children. So self-help, social, emotional skills, language, et cetera, Um, printable materials, articles, webinars. We actually have our own podcast, too, um, called Behaviorally Speaking, which is a parenting podcast. And we do consultation services. So all of our clinicians, um, we're all board certified behavior analysts. We are all uh, masters or doctoral level 
uh, clinicians. And so we, we are able to give one-on-one -on -one troubleshooting and, and uh, generate some ideas and strategies for the parents. And then we've also launched a new branch of our program. It's called the Neurodiversity Inclusion Center. And that's really a, a tool to drive awareness and inclusion for adults um, at work that have learning social and behavioral challenges. And we do that by training, educating their, their managers and their supervisors um, through the same model. So videos for training and then consultation. Um, we're essentially really trying to educate the employer level um, on leveraging more effective strategies to um, connect with and support their employees um, who might be experiencing these challenges. So let's talk a little bit more about employment. I know that where you live can make a big difference. Um, only 45 countries in the world have anti-discrimination or other laws to support people with disabilities. Countries like the U.S., Canada, Australia, and New Zealand have made it illegal to make employment decisions based on a person's disability. And other countries have anti-discrimination clauses uh, that enforce quotas when it comes to employment, which is important to preventing or eliminating poverty in different parts of the world. In the U.S., 35% of working age persons with disabilities are working. And according to the International Labor Organization, unemployment among those with disabilities is as high as 80% in some countries. In your opinion, what is the employment outlook for people with disabilities? Yeah, so those those numbers are are pretty staggering, but you know, the good news is we're seeing some major advancements and pretty at a pretty rapid rate. My outlook, I guess the shorter answer is my outlook is very positive. Um, because of employers like HPE, for example, um, a lot of great initiatives to support people with disabilities. We know that diversity is good, and, and just in general, right? So why not include the the, the disability population into that um, equation, right? Um, I think sometimes organizations are just, um, they're not sure how they would support someone with a disability. They may have not encountered someone with uh, certain needs before. There was a study done by the Job Accommodation Network, Jan, and uh, they found that most accommodations are free or up to $500, so definitely very manageable. Um, you know, I, I think when we think about employment, there are so many benefits to employing people with disabilities. There's There's been a ton of research to show that they bring higher rates of productivity, creativity, higher rates of retention, um, lower absenteeism and lateral thinking. And it really helps us to just kind of promote the concept of, uh, and, and to think about things like universal design, which basically means that you're designing an environment or a product or a process with everybody in mind. So everybody can access it. Um, I'll, I'll give an example. I have a colleague who is very open about the fact that she's legally blind and we present together um, pretty often and she'll say, um, you know, an adaptive hotel when I travel will give me a room by the elevator, but an inclusive hotel will use Braille, right? So it's not hindering anybody else's experience. It's just leveling the playing field. Everybody has access. So um, these are things that organizations are starting to think more about. Um, a good example is HPE. 
in Australia. Um, HPE has a program that has placed many individuals who are part of the kind of what we call the neurodiverse population um, in software testing roles in their Department of Human Services. Um, and that subset was found to be 30% more productive than their colleagues without a disability. So that's that's a really amazing stat. And I think when organizations are going forward and, and um, employing and supporting individuals with disabilities, they start to see some really amazing benefits. And then there are some great effects that go down the line with their other um, peers in, in different um, organizations that will adopt those same practices. You've talked a couple of times about neurodiversity. It's a relatively new term. We, we think it dates back to about the 1990s. Um, Australian sociologist Judy Singer um, had used that in her uh, in her thesis and um, has written about it. It's been written about quite a bit now. There's a great book by Steve Silberman called Neurotribes. Um, and uh, it was first used more synonymously with autism. And now it's branched out to include different populations. So ADHD. Um, also, some people think it also encompasses groups uh, of people who might be experiencing social anxiety and so on. It, it's a movement, it's a paradigm, but more generally, it just refers to uh, biological differences in our brain. So not acquired, but actually biological. Um, and it affects the way that we learn and communicate and, and socialize and, and kind of press, process our information. For people who have activity or learning challenges, there can be a higher prevalence, I believe, of anxiety, depression, and even in some cases, dementia. What can we do as parents throughout the life of our children uh, to help that child's emotional well-being? Yeah, it's it, the emotional well-being of our kids is taken uh, more of a front seat um, and it has, you know, gotten more of the spotlight. In the past, it's been about grades and things like that. Now, parents are really taking interest in um, social emotional learning. Um, there's a lot of studies that show that that is considered even more important than grades and knowledge and technology uh, for success in our in our kids' futures. Um, I think a couple things that parents can focus on, self-esteem being one of them. So involving your kids or introducing your kids into activities that make them feel good about themselves and help them to come in contact with some sort of success, right? Um, Maybe it's art and maybe if your child is non-ambulatory, um, it might be, uh, yeah, so it might be something like art or um, some sort of really amazing skill set in science. There's just a variety of different options. Um, I know a lot of kids that have disabilities that have really gotten into martial arts. That's a really common one that we hear about. They feel good about themselves. They um, are able to make friends that way and uh, that have shared interests, which is great. Um, also working on social emotional skills, as I mentioned. So that is a pretty big umbrella term, um, but it encompasses things like your child's relationship building. Um, resilience and self-care, learning how to set your own goals. These are all things that are great life skills that can help set your child up um, for more success in, in their, their life, not just as kids, but also adulthood. Um, and then of course, I think something that's, uh, that we often think about pretty early on when we, when we talk about anxiety and depression and, and trying to um, promote 
wellness and mental health is reaching out for counseling. Sure. Um, there's a lot of really great uh, EAP programs out there. I know uh, HPE provides a lot of great services and supports for their population. Um, and we're doing a lot of telehealth now too, which is great and, and even more convenient than ever before. I realize that many people listening may not have a child with a disability, but they might know one. What are some ways that people can help their friends or colleagues who have a child that has special needs? Yeah, I think one of the easiest things to do, honestly, is show an interest in their child. Um, Oftentimes, I see people talking directly to the parent and kind of talking over the child. And it's a simple little tweak that you can make, but talk directly to the child. Um, Also, celebrate various achievements and milestones with the family. Um, another thing you can do is give, offer to give them a break, um, maybe with childcare. Um, that can be really, really priceless. Um, and then also show empathy and, and ask questions, right? So you might not be able to know what it really feels like, um, but try to imagine what it might be like to have to juggle a big work project Um, when they're experiencing a crisis going on with their child. So show empathy, show interest, ask questions, and and lend uh, support uh, the best way that you can, or ask them, how can I help you? What would be um, the best way for me to show my support for you right now? Great ideas. Angela, in unexpected times, like the one we've just been through with COVID-19, it affects everyone, especially people with disabilities. For children with disabilities, disrupting their daily schedule is a big deal. Obviously, it has disrupted everyone's life. What can those of us with children with disabilities do to help our loved ones through times like this? Yeah, the, it's very unique in that when we talk with parents, when I when I do my, my consultations with families, I'm speaking with families all over the world, and this is a pretty universal experience, um, which is... I guess kind of um, it's unique in that everyone is experiencing similar things regardless of where they are in the world. Um, Some of the things that we have put together for families in terms of supports during this time is making a schedule and making a routine. We know that having a set schedule, especially for some children with disabilities, having a disruption in routine can be very, very difficult um, and cause um, some extreme behavior challenges and anxiety. So keeping routines as consistent as possible can really help reduce some behavior challenges, also help prevent regression of skills. We can use visual supports, right? So we, I, I do this for my own children too. They're out of school right now too. We have a visual board that um, helps them know exactly what happens. You know, we're going to have your little Zoom call with your class at this time, and then we're going to do workbooks, and then you can um, have a little break. And yes, we do watch TV a little bit during the day right now, which we didn't do before, and that's okay. Also, prioritize is a huge one. So cut out what is not essential right now to prevent getting overwhelmed. And, and kind of what I call just recalibrating your expectations. Absolutely. Good ideas. Good ideas. I mean, the the one thing that, that we have discovered, too, is all those things that are important, even when there's not a pandemic, exercise. Our son has discovered going onto YouTube, finding exercise videos, and working out. So uh, he's, he's loving it. Every day, it's become part of his new routine. Yeah. 
yeah, the exercise, going outside, I think also just not getting bogged down with all the things that people are telling you, oh, you got to check out this new app and this new activity and oh, here's 25 new activities and ideas and <laughs> right. that's so overwhelming for families. So try not to get bogged down, pick a couple things, go outside, you know, spend that time together and even practice um, or integrate some, take advantage of this time to do some new skills, right? So some teenagers might, might want to practice things like shaving or doing some new independent um, activities. This is kind of a good safe time where you're away from everyone else to practice some of those um, things you've never done before. All great ideas. Thanks so much, Angela. You're welcome. And thanks to you for listening. We want to remind you that HPE offers great resources to all HPE team members and their families. If you are in the U.S., you will find many of those on HPE Wellness. And if you're outside the U.S., you'll find them on the Global Wellness page. Until next time, take good care of yourself. Let's talk again soon.